You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. I am going to read a text that comes before our lectionary text. And then Anthony's going to read the text for this Sunday. And then I'm going to quickly read a few verses that come after it. But it's very important because when I read the text that Anthony's going to read, what Anthony's going to read is what was given to preach on today. And the fact that it starts in the middle of a situation asks you to go back and see what just happened and then to peek ahead to see what's coming after that. And there's a world of amazement to go on here. And so I'm going to read what comes before it, then Anthony's going to read the text, and then I'll read what comes after it. And so in John's Gospel, it says, After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. So please keep in mind, if you're ever troubled, it's not wrong, because Jesus was troubled as well. And he testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke, which is the humble response I feel like a lot of us would have been like, we know who it is. They were unsure of who he spoke. One of the disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Everyone's a gossip and wants to know. Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. He gave it to everybody, just so you know. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, listen to this, after he had taken it, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly, because not even Satan can leave Jesus' presence without his permission. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him, so it wasn't obvious It's the one who I'm going to hand this piece of bread to, and he hands it to Judas, and no one knew why. It wasn't clear. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Anthony. A reading from the Gospel of John 13, verse 31 through 35. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The word of the Lord. So when I read the first few words that Anthony read, when he had gone out, that made me have to look backwards and say, who and where did he go? And so it's after Judas had went out that Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified. But then when I was finished reading that portion that Anthony read, I said to myself, Jesus, where are you going that we cannot come? The next line is Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, 
but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus is like, you don't know where I'm going. And Peter's like, I'm going to get there first. You don't know where I'm going. I'm already there. Peter, you're at a 10. Bring it to a 3. Because will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So we have this mysterious text with Judas. We have Jesus waiting until Judas leaves to say, you need to love one another. So Judas leaves, and Jesus says, okay, is he gone? Is he definitely gone? He can't hear us anymore? Okay, I'm leaving too. The disciples are like, well, where, where are you going? We don't even know where he went. Where are you going? And he says, where I'm going, you can't come. But while you're waiting, love one another. And like the rest of us, thank God Peter's in the Bible. is like, okay, cool, love one another, got it. Where are you going? I just told you, you don't know where I'm going, and you couldn't go there if you knew. Just love one another, got it, love one another. But I'm going to go to where you're going. Peter, you don't know where I'm going. I'll die for you. Jesus is like, I can't do this anymore. Honestly, Peter, you're more stressful than Satan. Honestly, I'm going to be honest with you. I've known Satan a long time. He's stressful, but he's got limits. You, my friend, are limitlessly annoying. Good job, Peter. You've managed to be more annoying than the destroyer of the entire cosmos. I'm going to start the church with you. It's funny that Jesus changes Peter's name to a name that means the... Come on, say it out loud. The rock. Anybody remember the parable of the soil? There was three soils. One was the path. The third one was thorns and thistles. What was the second path? Rocky soil. See, at one time, Jesus was saying, Peter, you're going to be stable, but right now you're shallow. I need to put some depth in this rock because you're jumpy. You're making decisions before you know the facts. You're saying things, and you don't know of what you speak. Can't build the church this way. I have to deepen you so that you're not the kind of rock that's at the surface. You're the kind of rock that goes all the way down. Okay. Here's why I feel particularly connected to this message, because I wrestled with it until like 25 minutes ago. Inside of each and every one of us, there's a Judas and there's a Peter. I don't know about you, but I'm sure there have been times where Jesus needed me to leave the room before he could do what he needed to do. And I'm glad to be of service. If God needs me to leave the room, Lord, these kids are crying. They're freaking out. Maybe I'm like Judas. Maybe I should just leave. No, I'm just kidding. It's not that. It's not that. In every one of us, there's a Judah. Is this true? Do I have some praisers in the room? Do I have people who like to praise? It's not ironic that it's Judah, Judas, who betrays him. Because without depth, our praise will betray Christ for artificial gain. You've heard it in church history, recent church history. You want that new house? Praise. 
You want that promotion? Praise. Judah becomes Judas real fast when we say praise, and then you can get your 30 pieces of silver, but we call it a house. We call it a raise. The Bible calls it 30 pieces of silver. Am I making friends this morning? One thing you got to know about this moment with Judas is he could have gotten, like my thought, and this is just how evil I am when I read the Bible, I'm like, 30 pieces of silver? You could have gotten so much more than that. You're lowballing yourself, Judas. So hold this thought. Judas does something horrible here and doesn't even know what he's doing. He doesn't even know when it's time to leave to go do what he's supposed to do. Jesus has to tell him to go. Jesus has to tell him to leave because even Satan starts to enjoy the presence of God so much that God has to say, remember, you're the devil. Go. Can we be that kind of presence as the body of Christ? So nice and so calming and so amazing to people that even the worst people in the world need to be reminded to leave? I know you can be. Will you be? That's not even what I'm talking about today. I just like to riff on Judas because I like to be a thorn in people's flesh. And boy, oh boy, am I going to be a thorn. It is going to be quiet in this room today. I don't care. I'm confident in what I'm saying, and I'm excited to share it with you, and I'm excited to hear you at the door today. I love you, Judas, all of you. There's a Judas and a Peter inside of us, and Jesus wants to reconcile the two because they're both doing things wrong. So let's start with Peter because here's what's ironic. Here's what's ironic. The Bible says that Satan entered Judas, but Jesus never mentions that, but he calls Peter Satan. So we cannot just say, well, it says that Satan entered Judas, because Jesus turned to look at Peter and said, get behind me, which he never said to Judas. So it's important that we know that when the Bible gives us evidence of one person's wrongdoing... Oftentimes, it gives us evidence of one person's wrongdoing to show us how judgmental we are and how much we fail to realize we are also part of that wrongdoing. So it is very important that we pay attention to our gut-level reactions when we read the text because the minute we judge something in, someone in the Bible, we've become that person immediately. I'm way more Goliath than I am David in my life. And God needs to smack me upside the head many, many times and get me to realize I'm not supposed to try to intimidate. I'm not supposed to try and threaten. I'm not supposed to try and break unity. I'm supposed to be an agent of these things. So go ahead and judge Judas. And then all of a sudden you realize he's saying to you, get behind me, Satan. That's not even what I'm talking about today. Inside of us is a Peter, you ready, that wants to avoid what in us needs repentance by living triumphalistically. We want to do big things to avoid the small issues in our life that are constantly growing into big things if they are unchecked. We all have a Judas issue 
and we all have a triumphalist spirit like Peter, and the two are trying to ignore each other. The more I realize how wrong I am, the more I try to posture and present myself as being so ambitious and amazing because I'm trying to ignore the fact that I'm not that much different than one of the worst characters in the entire Bible. My praise, Judah, can become Judas real fast. Real fast. He leaves the room, and Jesus' next phrase is, I'm going somewhere. Peter, where are you going? Right now, Peter, you can't understand where I'm going. But afterwards, you will, and you'll go there. Where's Jesus going? I'm going to tell you at the end. I'm not going to tell you right now. You got to watch the next episode. There's a part of us that when we see the wrong in us, we immediately like Peter. Peter is the triumphalist spirit. Peter is the spirit of immediately assessing something, immediately knowing what's gone wrong, and immediately knowing the fix. All of that, that mentality is a demonic mentality to say, oh my gosh, I did something wrong, but I know exactly what it was, and I know exactly how to fix it, and I know exactly when it occurred. If all of those things are right, and you have so much clarity now, then why'd you do it? (laughs) The fact is, I don't know why I sinned, because if I did, I probably wouldn't have. Am I the only one? But there's a Peter in us that knows exactly. Jesus is like, you don't know where I'm going. Peter's like, I'm on my way. Where? You don't know. I'll be there. And I'll die for you there. No, you don't know. But there's something in us. The minute we see a news headline, we know exactly how to size it up. The minute something comes across our Twitter feed, we know exactly how to size it up. The minute somebody says one of the hot button phrases, we know exactly how to size it up. There's no space in many of us because we're living in the unregenerated spirit of Peter, not the post-Acts Peter, the pre-Acts Peter. And we size everything up with a right and a wrong, and we know exactly why it's right, and we know exactly why it's wrong. And the whole time, Jesus is waiting quietly because Jesus is living in the verse, be quick to hear and slow to speak, and he doesn't interrupt you. Jesus will let you talk yourself right to hell. Now that you're down there, can we have a conversation, please? He's just quiet. Peter's like, I'm going to go. And Jesus says, Jesus says in another text, you're going to leave. You're going to betray me. I'm going to pray for you so that after you betray me, you come back. It's like, Jesus, uh, listen, I've studied uh, leadership a little bit. I have a leadership book, Jesus. And probably what you should do as a good leader, if you know that Peter's going to deny you, is go stop him from doing it. And Jesus is over there, Ron, you're going to deny me. I'm going to let you fall flat on your face. And then I'm going to pray for you so that when you get back up, you're okay coming back to see me. Because Jesus leaves space for us where we don't even leave space for our own self. He's more patient with me than I ever have been with me. I always talk about how I'm not patient with you, but do you know why I'm not patient with you? I try to be but you're you. (laughs) You know why I'm not patient with you? Because my lack of patience 
with you is birthed from the fact that I haven't found any for myself. And when I'm not patient with me, I can't possibly be patient with you. All I can do is pretend and be a little fraudulent for a while, but you'll be found out when the rooster crows. There's things wrong in Peter. Peter's racist and doesn't even know it. It's part of the other lectionary text where Peter says, I'm not going to Cornelius' house. He's not Jewish. I will never walk into somebody's house who doesn't, who's not my people. This is in Peter, in the text we're reading, and it's in us. Various things, maybe just not racism, but various things are in us. And whenever we start to notice it, we start to act triumphant. I'll die for you. Look what Peter does. All his life, uh, there's a storm, and I don't know what to do, so I'm going to walk on the water. No, you're not. Uh, There's Moses and Elijah. I don't know what to do. I'm going to build three tabernacles. No, you're not. Oh, my gosh, Jesus is talking about leaving, and we don't know where he's going. I'm going to die for you. No, you're not. And then later on, the Holy Spirit's like, go to the Gentiles. And he's like, no, I'm not. So triumphant on the outside and so shattered and broken on the inside. But we are like this. Because I spent the better part of the week studying what the church has thought about why Judas did what he did. And you know what stumped me first? It says that Satan entered Judas after Jesus gave him the bread. Well, if you just don't let that skip past you, that means that everything Judas did, the plan with the Pharisees, the 30 pieces of silver, the where I'm going to be when you guys show up, I'm going to betray him with a kiss, we're going to be in the Garden of Gethsemane, all of those things were planned before Satan entered him. So when we try to say, oh, it's for demonic reasons, no, it's not, because Satan doesn't show up until the plan's already done. But this is what we do. We immediately try to figure things out, and Jesus will never let us be right. Oh, it's because he was greedy. He had the money bag, and he often stole from the poor. Was he really that greedy? Or did the disciples think when he left that he went to go give money to the poor? It's what it says. The one who's going to betray me is going to eat this bread. Judas. Judas eats the bread. He leaves. They don't say, oh, he's the one. They say he's probably going to give money to the poor. But I thought he was greedy. Why does everybody think that he's going to buy food for the feast or go to the poor? And Jesus never mentions, you're doing this because the devil. You're doing this because you're greedy. He never tells us. But why do we try to size up reasons that Jesus doesn't even give? Because we think that if we can find cause, we can have control of our own self and others. Because there's no space and there's no air. Jesus is breathing the whole time. Judas is betraying him. Jesus is breathing for Judas. He has space for him. Peter's jumping off. Um, I know I sunk in the water. I know I shouldn't have said I'm going to build the tabernacles, but I am going to go where you're going. No, you're not. You're going to go deny me. That's where you're going. And I'm not going to stop you. He's breathing. Peter has no space, no air in his own life for himself, which means he has no air in his life for Judas 
because Peter is filling up every gap in him with something to do as a narcotic to avoid what needs to be healed. What will change the world, the way that we'll be able to love our neighbor as ourselves? I know this is cliche, is when we learn to love ourselves. Because I'll tell you, for a lot of us, I don't think God wants us to love our neighbor the way that we've been loving ourselves. Because we hate ourselves. Because we have no space for ourselves. And every time there's space, we see what's wrong and we try to fill it with something immediately, which is why we're going to be talking about food on Wednesday as one thing. Not that I have a problem with that. Yeah, I just want to stay there for a minute because it just it can't be understated. Peter jumps to conclusions because in him is a system, and the system always works. And Peter always, I know exactly what to do. I know exactly what's wrong. I know exactly what God wants. And he jumps, 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 jumps. And yet, when Judas leaves, Jesus says, I'm going somewhere, and you can't come. Why can't we go to where Jesus was going? I'm not going to tell you yet. But part of the reason is because we can't forgive ourselves. And if we can't forgive ourselves, we can't go do what Jesus is about to do. Jesus is going someplace that only people who can forgive themselves and repent and face up to what they've done wrong can go. And at that moment, Peter can't go where Jesus is going because Peter can't forgive himself because Peter can't admit anything's wrong. I read a lot of pages in many leather-bound books, as Ian and I say, and everyone had a different reason for why Judas was doing what he was doing. Some argue that it was a misplaced desire to see Jesus freed from the flesh because at that time, flesh was seen as evil. So if I betray him and he gets killed, he'll finally be released from the flesh and then be who he's supposed to be. I was like, no way. That's dumb. And then I thought, wait a minute. We've all said our flesh is bad. How long you been in church? If you've been in church for more than five minutes, can you raise your hand? Yep. You've heard the flesh is bad. Just got to get rid of my flesh. You have to crucify it, not get rid of it. Because Jesus had it when he rose. So the flesh isn't bad. It's sometimes misguided. But it's not bad. Jesus rose in the flesh. He ate and drank. Touched my hands. Thomas's hand didn't go through him. He was flesh and blood when he rose. But we walk around like the flesh is terrible. It's not bad. It's been corrupted and it needs to be restored because it is good. It's good. Your flesh is good. When Jesus is criticizing, everybody say criticizing. When he's criticizing the disciples, Jesus says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is, which means the flesh needs to get. Does it? I've been taught my whole life that my flesh is too. 
strong. And Jesus is saying, no, your problem is that it's not strong enough. It says yes to the first thing that shows up. Oh, information I could have used 25 years ago. God, my flesh is too strong. He's like, when are you going to learn to read? It's not too strong. It's too weak. What does C.S. Lewis say? C.S. Lewis says, our flesh is so weak, we're satisfied making mud pies in the backyard when we could be on holiday at the beach. So there's some merit to the fact that maybe Judas betrayed Jesus because he wanted Jesus released from the dirty old flesh. Maybe he betrayed Jesus because he realized Jesus is so patient with these rulers, I need to just get, if one of them smacks him, maybe he'll stop being so patient with them. So let's set Jesus up for a fight. Let's get him into a fight in the schoolyard, and then he'll finally swing. All of these possibilities, we don't know. Was it Satan? Maybe. But he planned everything before Satan showed up. Was it greed? Maybe. But nobody at the table thought he was greedy. Was it goodness? We'll never know. Was it misplaced hope? Possibly. Why is this important? Because whenever we sin or whenever something is wrong in our own heart, we immediately size it up and say, I know what the problem is. We'll admit it to somebody on a Monday and by Tuesday text them and say, all fixed, thanks. There's no space for us, listen to me carefully, to sit and be wrong and not try to figure it out. Breathe. We're like Peter. We're jumping the gun constantly because we don't want time to go by and not know. It's why we, it's, we are the reason why we can't trust news media anymore. Not them, us. Because all they're doing is capitalizing on the fact that if we know something, we will glorify it. Hear what I'm saying. If we didn't react every time they told us something, then they would have to start telling us new things. If we would stay calm after one two-sentence headline they might learn to write four sentences again. But we bite hook, line, and sinker, the first thing we read, and all they know is they're going to eat it up, and we don't have to try very hard. We don't have to spend money on journalists anymore. We just have to spew out childish headlines, and they're going to be like, I knew it, I read an article. It used to say two people's names whenever they were going to give you information. So-and-so and so-and-so who are employed at the White House said. Now, it's a correspondent affiliated with has said. Who? Your mom? Who? The guy at the pump next to you? A correspondent said it. But that's not their fault. They're just giving us what we're begging them for. Give me some information so I can be in control of something because everything else feels like it's decidedly out of control. <sighs> Breathe. Now, in the middle of this, 
is Jesus the high priest? Judas leaves, and Jesus is like, he's going to regret that. Peter leaves, and Jesus is like, he's like a dad whose kids went out, and he's like, I, have I done anything right? What are you guys going to do? You've all run to go hiding. Okay. Well, it's just me. We think he's crying at Gethsemane because of the cross. He's crying because we frustrated him. Everyone dipped. He holds space. Now watch this. Judas realizes what he's done is wrong. And he goes to the high priest with the, with the money bag, and he gives it back to them. And do they accept it? No. Please hear me. There's no room in them. If Judas handed them the money bag, and they took it and said, why are you here? I'm here because I betrayed innocent blood. And if they would have went into their Bible, to Leviticus, and saw what priests are supposed to do when somebody repents, they would have said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to sacrifice a lamb for you. We're going to lay our hands on it. We're going to lay our hands on you, and you're going to be forgiven. Because that's what priests are supposed to do. You are a holy nation and a... But if you can't forgive yourself, how can you not be like the Pharisees and not accept someone else's repentance? If the priests would have done their job, Judas would have been alive on Sunday. We have only ever blamed Judas. But he went to church. He said, I've made a mistake. And they said, see to it yourself. And he did. Because he wasn't given the grace he needed to know that he could be forgiven. Whose fault is his suicide? His or the church that utterly failed him? Now let's talk. Attention gotten. But they can't even forgive themselves, which is why those priests are constantly posturing how righteous they are with their prayer bands and all this other kind of stuff. So do you see what's happening? Everyone who needs to repent is grandstanding the next thing because they, don't, they want to avoid it, and all of a sudden the priests start grandstanding, and when somebody who actually has humility, Judas Iscariot, goes and says, I messed up, they're so busy grandstanding, they can't forgive him because their sin is attached to it. They gave him the money. So they, if they can't admit they're wrong, they can't forgive him because the sin's connected. So they say, see to it yourself, because if we forgive you, we have to admit we're wrong. you got to let the text wash over you for a few decades. And then you'll start to see. 
I'm going to preach for a minute. You know the story of Ananias and Sapphira, everybody's favorite? Like if I get baptized again, favorite verse, when Ananias and Sapphira lied and God killed them. Everybody knows the story. Raise your hand if you know the story, Ananias and Sapphira. They make some good real estate moves. Aldo, they make some good real estate moves. They got some money. They bring some of it. Peter says, did you bring all of it? And they're like, yep. And Peter says, you've lied to men and you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And boom, one of them dies. The next one comes in. Spouses not on the same page. Here's some money. And the people watching are like, oh my gosh. This husband and wife, this is not good. Peter's like, did you give all the money? And she's like, yeah, I'm sure my husband told you. Bang, she dies. Why'd they die? I'm just speculating, but I get paid to speculate. So I got the microphone and you don't. So let me speculate. Did they die because God kills people who don't give him a lot of money? Some preachers will do that. Oh, it's not funny, though. They will. They will kill your ego if you're not giving enough money. Did they die because God kills people who don't give enough? Or did they die because Peter condemned them in front of a whole lot of people instead of saying, I denied him three times and he forgave me. Come here, let me talk to you. The one who didn't give in that story was Peter, not Ananias and Sapphira. Peter had more than just money. He had forgiveness from denying Jesus three times and being forgiven for all three of them. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And, G- and Peter was stingy with his forgiveness. And they died the same reason why Judas died, because the high priests didn't offer forgiveness. How well do we forgive in our home when the kids do something wrong? How well do we forgive in our home when the spouse does something wrong? How well do we forgive on the job when the coworker does something wrong? I'll tell you how well we forgive. Exactly how well we forgive ourselves. Jesus has space for Judas, though. Judas left the room, and Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot come. I hope you're starting to see where I think Jesus went. But we'll get there. Chill. Chill. We'll get there. I know you're all riveted by this, but chill. Calm down. Take a deep breath. Let's see if people had space for Peter. Acts chapter 11. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Apostles heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, the Jews who were saved, criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. How dare you? When did Jesus ever eat with people that he shouldn't have eaten? Oh my gosh. Look, Christians are saying to Peter, you ate with people of another nationality? Don't you know our nationality is the supreme one? How could you have possibly went and eaten with those people? Christians! 
no space for the fact that they're so wrong because they don't have space in themselves for their own need to repent. See what happens. Peter says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God has given this, now listen to Peter's words and then listen to theirs, okay? This is fun. I know you might not be having, but this is super fun what's about to happen here. It's silly and embarrassing and real. Peter says, if then God gave the same gift to the Gentiles as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could stand in God's way? That's a good thing. Peter said, if God gave this gift to me, gift, everybody say gift, if God gave this gift to me, then of course he can give the gift to them. Listen to what the people hearing it say. When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance. Do you know how condescending that is? Think about what they just said. Peter's like, if God gave us the Holy Spirit, then he could give them the Holy Spirit. And their response is, you know what? Those people could repent too. Go. If you're married, here's what I want you to do. Next time you think your spouse did something wrong, be like, I'm glorifying God that he could forgive even you. See how it works. Try it. As your pastor, I'm saying, go ahead. Give it a whirl. Give it the old college try. As soon as husbands, as soon as your wife messes up, which she will, as <laughs> soon as she messes up, say, I, I just, I love being a Christian because God is so merciful even to forgive this. Even you. It's obnoxious. I'm scared to death just making the joke. She's right there. Do you know how obnoxious that statement is? Well, okay, fine. Even the Gentiles can repent of all of their sinful ways. There's no room in them to believe that good can happen to other people because they don't believe good can even happen to their own self. We need air. We need to say there's something corrupt in me and not fix it tomorrow, but let the Spirit hover over it and first say, let there be light. And then let there be an expanse. And then let there be seed. And then let there be a sun and a moon. And then let there be life. Do you see how each day God begins to redeem the formless and the void earth in Genesis 1? Genesis 1 is not the beginning of the world. Genesis 1 is the beginning of the story of redemption. He hovered over what had become dark and void. He didn't make it that way, everybody. It became that way. It's the beginning of the story of Jesus Christ. Let there be. Jesus was the word, and he's the... But he doesn't fully redeem it on day one. He does a little on day two. He does a little on day three. He does a little on day four. 
because he doesn't want us being like unregenerated Peter. He doesn't want us doing it all today. Because you know what happens when you do that? You get it wrong and you get tired. Let God pace you out. Move at the rhythm of his grace and mercy. Let him show you what needs repair. And then don't immediately know the fix. Let him show you the next thing. Because what you'll learn is he loves you very much. And what you'll learn is that you can love yourself while you're repairing. And then you'll be able to love others as you love yourself. Judas left. And Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot come. But afterward, you will. Where was Jesus going? He was going to hell to get Judas. He was going to hell to get Judas. But Peter couldn't go there yet because he was too proud. The Pharisees couldn't go there yet. They were too self-righteous. But eventually, Peter went to the people that others assigned to hell and said, I ate and drank with them, and guess what? They got the Holy Spirit too. We say it in the creed. He descended to the dead. And he led captivity free. He goes to hell to get you. How much more, how free are you to forgive yourself? How free are you to not only forgive yourself, but to say to a world of hurt that, I'll I'll use myself, I'm free to forgive myself, and I'm free to stand in front of the blazing fires of destruction I've caused and said, this was me. I know you might be dealing with what I did for a long time, and nothing excuses it, but I'm sorry. And if there's anything I could do to help you walk through what I've done, I'm willing to. Because now I can go where he went. I can even go down into the pit of my own hell. Find Jesus there. And have him do some healing things. But if all of us don't think we're Judas, we'll never go where Jesus went. And then we will never be able to sink into the abyss of somebody else's life and forgive them. We will just be all messy on superficial nonsense. All up here stuff. Making and breaking relationships. Getting into relationships we never should have gotten into because of surface stuff. And ending relationships we shouldn't end because of superficial stuff. There's no to-do on this one. All I'm saying is, he forgives you. And so you can own up to what you've done. And you, don't, and you don't just own up to it once. I've made this mistake in, in just silly arguments. Believe it or not, I'll say something dumb. I know it's hard to believe, but not everything I say is really good, which I know is, again, hard to believe. Say something stupid. And then immediately, I know I just said something stupid, which is, Matt, this is a good place to get. Like, the minute I said it, I'm like, I shouldn't have said it. I would like to be able to have that before, but I'm trying. So right away, I'm like, I shouldn't have said that. But when a rock hits somebody, they bleed. But now I'm here saying, I shouldn't have said that I was wrong. Stop bleeding. 
I'm mad at you now for bleeding because the more you bleed, and I'm using bleed as an analogy, please God, I've never laid my hands on Jacqueline. I'm talking about words. I realize I'm talking on the internet. I'm going to be canceled tomorrow. Just canceled. But once I say I'm sorry, the next evil thing in me that needs to heal is the sense that once I say sorry, all the bleeding on the other end is supposed to stop. If you're really sorry, you will be humble with that person until their pain stops, not until you said sorry. This is, but, but if we're not patient with ourselves, we'll never be able to walk at the rhythm of somebody else's pain. We'll never be able to walk at the rhythm of their healing. We'll be trying to hurry up their healing because their healing is an indictment on what we did. And so I want you to heal up so I get to stop seeing what I've done. Maybe the reason why Thomas wasn't in the room is because he knew Jesus would show him his wounds. And I don't want to see them. Because I did that. If we can forgive ourselves, we can not only repent, but then we can stay in the aftermath of what we caused. Well, you really got to lower that down. That's creepy. Thank you. What just happened? I sounded like. We can stay in the aftermath of what we caused and go from the agent who caused it to part of how God is going to heal it. Imagine God working all things together for good. And that not just being about a raise because I lost my job. What if God is going to allow me to help repair even the things I've done? But I have to forgive me. Otherwise, I'm going to be like Peter, shouting all this ambition and having no room for Judas at all. New covenant Peter acts as law-oriented as old covenant scribes and Pharisees when you can't forgive yourself. But Jesus forgives Peter, has room for him. Come and have breakfast with me. Take a walk on the beach with me. Says, do you love me three times? Never says, why'd you betray me? Just wants to know, do you love me? And that space allows Peter to come to grips with himself to the point where he has a vision in Acts chapter 10 or 9 or 10. And, and his vision says, Peter, you are being uh, elitist. You got to go to the Gentiles too. And he does. And he admits he was wrong. And he stays with them long enough for them to get the Holy Spirit. When Judas walks up to Jesus, the one who said, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you, which is the highest calling. What does he say to Judas? Friend, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? I'm still calling you the highest level of calling that I could call anybody. Your evil didn't change my opinion of you. And they won't sacrifice a lamb for you, but I'm the lamb that sacrificed that they could never sacrifice. I'm going to go down there and I'm going to get you. When we learn to forgive ourselves, we stop being so judgmental.
and we start having room, again, hear me, to not only repent and say, I'm sorry, but to then live in the aftermath of what we've caused long enough for the Spirit to enter it. Everything in your life will change if we can learn to do that. Let's stand to our feet this morning. What's that space look like? I've said this a million times, and I'll say it for the rest of my entire life. In these broken pieces, in brokenness is space. When something is whole, there's no space. And if you're all scientific, I don't care. That's not what I'm saying. You get what I'm saying. There's probably an engineer out there somewhere who's like, no, that's actually not. Never start a sentence with actually. I'll stop listening. I'm just so messed up. Can you all keep praying for me, please? I got an attitude, man. Like, I'm, I'm in this with you. I'm so in this with you. Like, I'm, I'm, the reason why I wrestled with this message the whole time is because I'm like, I don't want this to be true. I can't say this in front of my family. <laughs> there's space. There's sp- I love you all so much, too. There's space in brokenness. Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. But now that it's been broken, there's space. There's space for you. If you broke my body, there'd be no space. But it was broken for you, not by you. I broke it. Satan didn't break it. Your sin didn't break it. I lay down my life, and I take it up again. That's what he said. And because it's broken, there's space And every Sunday, he invites us into literally the most holy space I could ever possibly imagine. This sanctuary is holy space, but there's even more holy space in between the pieces. Before every service, I get up here and I break them. And all of a sudden, there's space. The wafer is a perfect circle, and then all of a sudden, there's space. And the space in between the pieces is where we fit into the life of Jesus. It's where you have a home in the life of God. And in that space, he makes you roomy so that you can invite others into your broken space. This is how we bring healing to the world. is by not filling our empty space with ambition and deflection and casting shade on everything else. But just saying, yeah, I'm broken. Yeah, I'm broken. Spoiler alert. I'm broken. Jesus, you could come into this space. Friends, you can come into this space. Some of the brokenness in your life, I caused. Some of you over here caused brokenness in lives over there. Some of you in one seat has caused brokenness in the seat in the person next to you. You can say yes. You can say yes. Yes, I did. And healing immediately starts to flow right then and there. Because Jesus jumps right into that space and he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you my body and blood in this space. 
and I'm going to stand in between two fractured pieces and I'm going to pull them together. So say, yes, I did. I have done this. Kids, I've done this. Honey, I've done this. Friend, I've done this. Person I may never talk to again for the rest of my life because there there does have to be boundaries and that's not what I'm saying. But you know what? I'm going to release into the heavenlies. I know I might never talk to this person again. It's probably not wise to, but yes, I did. Yes, I did. And then he's going to say, let there be light. And then he's going to end the day and you're going to be like, but it's still broken. And then the next day he's going to be like, okay, let there be an expanse in the heavens and on the earth. We're going to create some boundaries here. This could be a good sermon series. And then he's going to end the day, and you're going to be like, okay, now we got boundaries, but it's still broken. Well, now I'm going to plant some seeds. They're going to take a lot of time to grow. Oh, yeah. This is how he heals. You might outlive your own healing. You may go to be with the Lord before you're fully healed, before the relationship that is broken is fully healed. But Jesus is going to heal time in such a way where that won't even stop the healing. We can all move slow because time is the time that God takes for us. And as long as he's the one who's taking the time for us, we have all the time in the world. Holy Spirit, I pray that you descend on this bread and make it for your people the body and blood of Jesus. Because you do something incredible with this bread, we know that you could do something incredible with our brokenness. Because you make this brokenness eternal food, we know that you can shed eternal light on our brokenness. So God, as your body comes to eat this meal, I pray that they would be walking toward a freedom where they can say, yes, I have caused brokenness. Yes, I'm wrong. And then be able to sit there with space and have you slowly direct our heart to what healing even looks like. Help us to not be like Peter, who thinks he knows what everything is supposed to look like. So many of us miss our healing because we have a flawed view of what healing would even look like, what it would even mean. I pray that we would just stop and let you order our steps. Let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light upon our path. Not our opinion or our foresight or our expectations, but your word. So that we can have real healing in Salem Tabernacle families. Not the superficial kind, Father God, where we say pleasantries and think it's okay. Lord, we want to see real reconciliation happen. And for that, we're willing for it to take forever. Because we know we'll see it. Because even those things that have gone to hell, you're not done with them yet. I pray that you would descend on us forgive us of our sins and somehow make us food for the world we will encounter this week to bring holiness to the lives of those who are stressed, tired, fatigued, and worn out. 
Strengthen the bars of our gates, Father God. Strengthen our relationships in this church. Strengthen the way that we interact with each other. Strengthen the way that we repent toward each other. Strengthen the way that we are patient with each other, Father God, so that we could go into all the world and be a strong and humble body of Christ for those we'll meet this week. In your name we pray, and everybody said. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.